0: listeners we want to hear from you find us on instagram twitter and youtube at gravel trap f1 and share your love for f1 with us
1: adrian newey should be a flavor of red Bull.
0: yikes it's true
1: it doesn't taste any different the can is just more aerodynamic
0: i'm
2: caroline and i'm christina and this is gravel trap f1 guess what Monaco was not boring this year. Nope, it was pretty wet and wild. That's right. And in today's Formation Lap, we'll discuss the tires F1 uses in wet weather. And in the Grand Prix segment, we cover
0: a story where a quarter million dollars went missing on track during the 2004 Formula One race in Monaco.
2: At the checkered flag, Buck reads the news. And we give you our hot takes on some recent headlines.
0: Let's get into it.
2: Okie We just had Monaco, and we got a special treat this weekend. We got to see, I think, all five of the tires got run throughout the race. Yeah, and Monaco, I feel like, is typically
0: somewhat predictable these days because it's so much harder to pass in Monaco, and a lot of people have been calling it pretty boring, but I don't know about you, but I felt like this weekend's Monaco was anything but boring.
2: It I will say, I did doze out for a certain portion of it, like that middle third. I was kind of just like, yeah, okay, they're trucking along, they're trucking along. And then I heard them talk about like, oh, here comes the rain. And then I was awake, just like, boom, there, I'm staring, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And that downpour was actually like pretty intense. Like it came and it went, but when it was there, it was... It was heavy. Significant.
0: Yeah, and you could see it on the track too, because... It was dry and then I felt like they would go around
2: a corner and then the next time
0: they came around the corner, it was soaking wet. Before we
2: before we go any further, like little round of applause for getting to see the helmet cams, like the little eye view mm-hmm. and seeing mm-hmm. what the drivers see with the rain pet like pelting against their visor.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's like so good to see. It adds so much context to why driving in the wet is challenging. I oh so, goodness so enjoyed that. Like that was just a good one to see. Talk to us about the tires. Tell us about these like wet tires that they were dealing with this weekend. Right. So, big difference between our dry tires and our wet tires is that the dry tires are called slicks because they do not have treads. So they look super, super smooth. And they do that so that way they actually have the most contact possible with the track. It gives them the highest amount of grip that way, which is fantastic. But the bad news, as we saw (laughs) with this race this weekend, is that that means the moment there's water, they're useless. Like they just Mm -hmm. slip, slide all over the place, spinning like ballerinas. And I feel like we also forget, at least I forget every single year that Monaco has hills. Like there's a pretty significant elevation change like a number of times throughout the track. Which Mm -hmm. you got such a good impression of this year as well because of the new camera angles. Like you got to see them actually changing that elevation a lot and going up and down. So Mm -hmm. that's where though the wets come in. They have treads and they displace water. So it allows the track to get that dry line set up and you get grip, which the moment... The teams put those inter tires on. You got to see like such a drastic difference within like a lap or two, I want to say. It did take a little bit of time to drive that track, but it made a difference. It did. Well, and I actually, I have a question
0: that's more of a hypothetical because I think that they went over it after the race, but I just, I didn't get a chance to see it. But Fernando Alonso took a long time to change onto the inters and they had just pitted him for a fresh set of slicks. And... Mm -hmm. I guess the big question that everybody had was, would he have been able to challenge for the win if he had changed to inters at that time? What do you think?
2: The numbers from what I've seen from other like data analysis accounts say that yes, if he had on that first pit stop, instead of switching over to another set of slicks, if he had immediately gone on to inters, he would have been ahead of Max at one point in the race. Whether that be, I, I can't, I'd have to go look it back at my timestamps, but he would have either after that pit stop been ahead of Max or after Max's pit stop been ahead of him. So Mm -hmm. he would have been in first towards the tail end of the race. Now, obviously Max was pulling out really, really good fast laps and the Red Bull is a phenomenal car. So even with the difficulty of overtaking in Monaco, there's absolutely the possibility that Max still could have won the race and taken that position back. But yes, this is the closest Fernando has gotten to a win, and it would have also been just that little bit closer if that decision had been made a little bit sooner. There was the question of, is this rain going to be intense and long enough to warrant switching to the Inters? Because again, mm-hmm. they have such a different performance and, and conditions that they do well in compared to the Slicks. Mm-hmm. And even, even the Inters to the full wets, those are very drastically different conditions. And we heard the teams kind of debating about it. And thankfully, only only one car went onto the full wets, I believe. And it was towards like the back of the field as well.
0: I think it was Sergio. They put Sergio on Perez on okay. the full wets. And essentially at that point, by the time they were putting him on the full wets, they were just using Checo as a data point for Max yeah. to figure out what they should do for
2: Max. I'm a little disappointed in that we did only get to see one person on the wets. And it's because we had the new wets this weekend. We were supposed to get them mm-hmm. at Imola last weekend, did not. Mm-hmm. Um, but for all the right and reasons. And my big hope for all the right reasons, absolutely. But the new wets, I was really, really hoping that it would actually be a change to them displacing less water because currently the intermediate tires displace 30 liters of water per tire per second at 300 kilometers per hour. Wow. I believe that's right. If I'm wrong, sorry. Uh, and then <laughs> the full wets, the full wets are 85 liters displacement. Oh my gosh! Like per per tire, per tire. So like, I wish I had my nalgene right here right now with me. But you imagine the like one liter of water bottles, mm-hmm. 30 of that per tire for the intermediates, 85 mm-hmm. of those per tires for the full wets. Like that's wow. That is a but ton of water and anytime we go to use the full wets 95% of the time it's in conditions that are too wet to race in mm-hmm. so it's like you you really do need to fully change the design of the wet tires for the conditions that are like one step above the enters and like two steps below what you currently have them designed for but instead yeah. the new wets are designed for performance differences, whatever that means, and to not need tire blankets, Hmm. which I mean, to make the switch over that, start making that switch over to all of the tires, not needing blankets. That makes sense because typically you're racing in cooler conditions the moment there's water on the track. So yes, see how it goes with the full wets. That makes sense. But to not reevaluate how much water is being displaced seems a little silly to me.
0: Yeah. But if their ultimate goal is to keep the race going, I would see their desire to have it displace as much water as possible because in the end, they Mm -hmm. don't really want to stop a session. They want to keep racing because that's how you make money in the end. But for the safety of the drivers, I definitely see your point of, you know, if it's too wet to be racing, then don't solve your problem with tires. Solve your problem by keeping everybody alive and postponing.
2: So. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I was kind of thinking about today as well, as I was like thinking about this episode was that we have six different types of slicks, but Mm -hmm. we only have two tires for the wet conditions. Like Mm -hmm. that ratio seems really off to me because they acknowledge, okay, each racetrack is so distinct that Pirelli evaluates and decides which dry tires are most suitable. And you're telling me that the tracks, when they are wet, don't sometimes have different conditions wet track to wet track and that it's going to be a one-size-fits-all for their intermediates and wets?
0: That's a very good point. It's a that, very good point. That
2: seems very weird to me. Yeah. Like,
0: I agree. expand
2: your wet range.
0: Mm-hmm. At least add one more so that then you have mm-hmm. three options because I feel like even the jump from two to three – gives you some variety to work with, but it really would. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Because that's the, the other thing is when rain falls, it falls at varying levels, varying degrees, varying amounts of heaviness. So if it's a lighter rain, you might want the soft equivalent, right? Of the wet tire mm-hmm. versus if it's a very, very heavy rain, you want to have the option between like a medium or a hard.
2: Exactly. Level. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, even when we watch, we talk about this all the time about Japan and how it's built on the rice paddy field. Oh my gosh. Don't even get get me started. Our listeners know. (laughs) They know how I feel about it. (laughs) Exactly. But then, and then we're going to Canada in what, three weeks? And again, Mm -hmm. high potential for rain. It's on an island. It has a water in the middle of it and all around it. So that creates, again, different soil conditions for like overland flow and drainage. So the Mm -hmm. tracks just have different conditions that they're dealing with give us more wet tires that's that's the hill i'm gonna choose to die on now pirelli (laughs) should design more wet tires
0: give us more i agree i agree if they're gonna be developing more slicks then they should also be developing more wets period what color
2: would we give them Ooh, we need some pink in there there's no pink or purple i feel like purple is like that cool water shade as well Mm. Mm mm-hmm (laughs) mm-hmm For
0: starters, I want to apologize to our listeners because I am feeling a bit under the weather. So if I am coming across as a bit downplayed, it's not on purpose. I feel like I'm going to die. So bear with me, listeners. But for today's Grand Prix segment, we're going to be taking us obviously to Monaco, but to Monaco back in 2004. And I want to tangent by saying We all know that Brad Pitt's going to be making some appearances this season, so we're not going to get into that today because it doesn't have anything to do with Monaco, but speaking of Hollywood making its presence known in Monaco and in Formula One, back in 2004, the Jaguar racing team was competing, and I feel like it's worth noting that Jaguar racing at the time was owned by Ford. They were going to the Monaco Grand Prix, and they, it was really important for them to bring in some good PR because the team was relatively new, and they had come in seventh in the last two Constructors' Championships, which, if you don't know, that's not very good. Uh, they only place one through ten in Constructors'. And so to come in seventh is not the best. So there was a lot of pressure from Ford for them to do really well and to get some good PR. So the answer that they came up with was to partner with the promotion of a new movie that was coming out at the time called Oceans 12, which for those of you that don't know anything about the Oceans movies, this was a really big heist style movie starring Brad Pitt, George Clooney, and Matt Damon. If you don't know who they are, use no Google. I'm not going to go into it. Go look them up. So <laughs> <laughs> go get out of the rock you've been living under and go find a Google search and look them up. Um, but in order to fit with the themes of luxury that come with Monaco, they could have done a lot of things. Honestly, they could have had an Ocean's 12 boat. They could have... Made a livery about Oceans 12. I feel like they could have done a lot of things. Smarter things. Before they did what they ended up going with, yes. But instead, what they did was they called their friends over at the Steinmetz Group, which the Steinmetz Group is like a big jewelry. They own a lot of jewelry and jewelers and gemstones. And I feel like Christina would know the official name for what this group would be in charge of. But anyways, they had a lot of rocks and so they called the Steinmetz group and said, hey. Don't call them rocks.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's like the worst thing you could call them. <laughs> All the gemologists are going to be after you.
0: Gemologists, I'm sorry. They had. Gems very precious stones. <laughs> many gems, many precious stones, many options. And so what they did was they <sighs> brought five. Not one, not two, not three, not four. Five diamonds, each valued at around $250,000 each. What? And instead of, and again, okay, let's just go with them. Let's just say, hey, we're bringing in all of these gemstones. I won't call them rocks anymore. These gemstones. (laughs) And we're going to put them on display. Maybe even like, you know, in the helmet or something. You know, like I could see it like being on a display helmet or being on a something but yeah. they said no we're gonna go one step further you know the nose of the car at the very front we're gonna put it in the nose so that it's on display they gave it a stud they did they really did they yeah. gave it a little nose piercing on these oh my gosh. on these formula one cars and i mean i just wish i could have been in like the debrief with the drivers when they told them hey your cars this weekend are going to be $250,000 more expensive than they normally are. So if the pressure wasn't high enough, here's some more pressure. And also at the track where it has really tight turns, really narrow corners, and very, very, very little margin for error. And they were like, here, let's put these precious gemstones on the nose of your car. So one of the drivers (laughs) for Jaguar Racing, Christian Klein, He actually crashed in the Thursday uh, practice session that they had that week Mm -hmm. and everybody was so scared, but he damaged the back of the car. So the gemstone was fine. This was the other thing like, okay, put them in there for the photo opportunity and then take them out when they're actually racing. But they said, no, 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 we're going to keep them in there while they're racing as well. Which I was like, wow, right. the amount of confidence they had to have to do this.
2: Also, there's so many look-alike gems that you could have used to have like a dummy on display just for the sparkle yes. of it. But then, yes. like, like, just just swap out the fitting. Like, mm-hmm. also for anybody who's new to the sport and confused if Car- when Caroline said the practice on Thursday, Monaco used to have their first practice sessions on Thursday because yes. it's a national holiday, Ascension Day, on the Friday sometimes. They don't do that anymore, but they used to. So yes. Not a mistake. Just weird piece of history. Yes.
0: But I had the thought of what you were talking about, Christina, about putting in a fake for the sake of the actual yeah. racing. They asked him about they actually asked the guy who was in charge of the Steinmetz group who provided the diamonds. They asked him, like, why didn't you just put fake ones in the cars that would be lookalikes? And he said it would be more embarrassing. For them to find out that they had put fake diamonds, then it would be to risk losing real ones. And I said, Are "Tell me," sure I said to that? myself, "Oh, that's what he said." And I thought to myself, "Tell me, you're too rich without telling me you're too rich." Like goodness yeah. gracious, I would be like, "No," I'd be holding on to that. Which I don't think I'm the only person that thought that because, on the first lap of the race on Sunday, lap one, uh, Christian Klein crashed. Again, this time with the front of the car, and the front wing and the nose took the majority of the damage, and the diamond was lost, never to be found again. To this day, wait, 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 unfound. How,
2: physically, like how big of a diamond are we talking? Big. Like,
0: they call it button size. Like they referred it to it as having been button sized. I mean, like okay. I mean, it's it's like bigger than your th- like the the. Front, like your thumb, like when you think of like your from the knuckle in your thumb to like the tip of your thumb, bigger than that.
2: Okay, I'm so thinking like, a, like okay, eyeball so,
0: size, like okay. it's big,
2: like a chonky chonk, it was pink big, panther kind of. A yeah, thing. it was an emerald cut,
0: emerald Ooh, cut, uh, nice. diamond fitted in the front, okay. but be gone now, never to be found again. There were some, La Pouf. there were some, there were many conspiracies, obviously, because. It's also in promoting a heist movie. I'm like, you can't make this up. I mean, it went missing in the promotion of a heist movie. And they said it was like some of the best PR they could have ever asked for. I said, that's some of the most expensive PR you could have ever asked for. But okay. Uh, But yeah, there's a lot of theories, a lot of conspiracy theories. My favorite one is that one of the marshals was just like sweeping up and thought that it would be a nice raise. But we have a lot of respect for the marshals, so I don't think that that one's true. But I, I, I mean, I, I would think that, I would think that the temptation would be high. And there's another conspiracy that it, it ended up in one of the drains, and like is somewhere out in the ocean, and Ariel can find it.
2: But we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> oh my gosh, man. See, yeah. Okay. Here's the other thing that gets to me is that diamonds have they're they're chunky things, especially that big. Like they have they're the top of the hardness scale that gemologists use. Mm -hmm. Like, they're 10 out of 10. So if someone's in an accident and that diamond goes flying and schwacks somebody in the head, that Mm -hmm. also seems like a huge safety concern. Why are you allowing this, like, maimable piece of debris, essentially, to be attached to a car?
0: Yeah. No! and, And also, apparently, like, the FIA and some of the teams got involved, too, because you have certain specs of the car that are cleared beforehand right that your car has to be and fit a certain body style etc livery throughout the whole season and when they announced that they were going to be doing this they had to go I mean they had to work so hard just to even get this to be a thing for them to then lose it and I don't know I felt kind of bad for Christian Klein because I was like look he crashed twice with this diamond in the car like clearly was not the move so yeah that was the big diamond heist of 2004.
1: Caroline, I've looked up some information as you were talking there. I wanted I wanted to, Hit me. to compare some things. So firstly, the cost of a F1 engine, current V6, uh, roughly $10 million. Nice. Um, the steering wheel, about $50,000.
0: Yeah, they're expensive. The
1: gearbox, uh, $350,000 for a gearbox. So Sergio Perez this weekend lost a diamond to Monaco again. Essentially, like I don't, they they lose, (laughs) I'm saying they lose gearboxes, you know, not infrequently. So $250,000 extra on the car might, I don't know if it was that much of a sticker shock for, for the, for the teams. I I agree with uh, Christina's thing about the projectile capability of of that thing.
0: But also the value of a gearbox when it's not working (laughs) the value goes down. Right. Whereas the value of that diamond does not change, (laughs) whether it is on the car or off the car. It is still a $250,000 diamond. All right. So for today's checkered flag segment, Buck is going to hit us with some headlines that Christina and I have not seen previous to now. I mean, you're getting live reactions, so I'm prefacing it with that because I have no idea what we're about to talk
1: about. Ironically, we're going to talk about The Little Mermaid. Oh my gosh, yay. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, I picked up some headlines from the recent news uh, in the last week or so, and I'll include those links in the episode description so our listeners can read through the whole article. We're not going to read line for line uh, the entire article for everybody. Uh, The first one is titled F1 is a meritocracy. Wolf, as in Toto, against any restrictions to be put on rampant Red Bull. He said, if we start putting in a balance of performance, we will ruin this sport. The best driver in the best car spending the same amount of money should win the championship. And if you break the rules in either you should be heavily penalized, but only then not for doing a good job.
0: Such a class act, Toto Wolf. man. I've got a lot of respect for him because when you're struggling to meet the power and performance that the leaders have this year, it would be so easy to advocate to slow them down. But I feel like a true competitor accepts the challenge. And I think that that's what Toto is saying. He's saying, no, if – if you're winning fairly and you're destroying fairly, then why would you why would you curb that? Because I think he put himself he's been in that seat before. And so I I commend it. I commend it because that was a test. That was a test to Toto of can you can handle winning but can you can't, can you handle losing the way everybody else has been losing to you for a long time.
2: Class act Toto. 10 out of 10. Completely agree. Like, you shouldn't be stunting the team that got it right. That being said, if the regulations are written as they are, that the only team that got it right is the team with the once-in-a-generational engineering talent that is Adrian Newey, that's also a problem. Like, we should probably acknowledge that there is probably a better way to write the regulations that would have kept everybody more in line Because right now, it's not just that Red Bull is doing well. It's that all the other teams are also struggling. And that's the bigger problem I have with it, is that you're looking at all the other teams and kind of just being like, you guys just don't get it. It's not even like, oh, you guys have a decent baseline and are like improving just not as quickly as Red Bull. It's like, no, you guys are actually like struggling to even comprehend what to do with these regulations. So in that aspect, it's kind of like, I understand... Maybe adding regulations to help other teams catch up, but not not to pull Red Bull back. Like, they understood the assignment.
1: Adrian Newey should be a flavor of Red Bull.
2: <laughs> it's true. Yeah. He should have his own. What would his, his flavor be? I feel like that's like... As long as it's not like the original one. The original one, I'm sorry, but that thing is not good.
1: Okay. It doesn't taste any different. The can is just more aerodynamic.
2: LOL. I like that. Yes. All right.
0: Hit us with the next one.
1: Uh, The next one is a kind of an editorial piece from Divebomb.com, written by a Lewis Rundle. This is just a couple days ago. Headline is Formula One Stop is limited strategy to blame for F1's boring start to 2023. In summation, due to the current construction of Pirelli tires, it seems there isn't enough of a pace differential between compounds and tire age for a new set to be worth the time lost through pitting. And so the teams are sticking to their boring one-stop strategies.
0: I don't know. I feel like we've seen some high-tire deg this year. Just
2: not from the Red Bull. The bigger issue I see is not necessarily that the races are boring because of strategy. I think that there is a lot to watch. I think if you're going to criticize something, you should probably also wonder, what are we being shown by broadcasters? To, To redirect a little bit what I personally find most annoying is that we get we get access to onboards now Mm -hmm. all of the onboards if we want so you can actually see if the broadcasters are missing action so a lot of the times i don't think that it's necessarily that we're getting boring racing i think a lot of the times it's that broadcasters aren't making the best choices and you're losing out on a lot of things happening like in miami yes i i think that's a huge part of it but you know Could you add another element back to make strategy more complex and to wonder, oh, when is somebody going to pit? Probably, but Formula One is Formula One because it's a Constructors' Championship, because it's about Mm -hmm. the performance of these individual cars. And so for me personally, that's what I find most interesting. Moist? (laughs) Moist. That's what I find most (laughs) interesting. interesting and engaging is that you're watching the different performance of a whole bunch of different cars and i think it's not to be flippant or just like are you sure you like formula one but are you sure you like formula one to some of these people like if you want series that are more dependent on pit stops and strategies to make their racing interesting there are other series you can watch but what makes formula one special is that it's about the design of the cars
0: yeah and I'm, I mean, you can find a lot of things to complain about and that are the cause or the reason to see this season as a somewhat of a snooze fest because we're not seeing a real battle for P1 in the Drivers' Championship or even really in the Constructors' Championship. But I definitely don't think it's the tire's fault. Like, I don't think that it's no. a lack of – Pirelli is not at fault for me. I love Pirelli. I am a big Pirelli fan, so I will not speak against Pirelli. I think Pirelli's doing a great job. The only request we have is maybe some more wet tires, <laughs> please Pirelli. We love you. Goodbye.
1: <laughs> I would like to see them make uh, gapped selections on the tires, like C five, C three, and C one. Oh, like, I they did that. Last year, there was at least yeah. one race I remember where there was a gap between the numbers, and they actually went pretty wide with one one of the choices. And I was like, "That's I think interesting." It was, Imola. Was, it was it?
2: I think it was one of the recent ones. Yeah. And last thought: no one racing series can be absolutely everything. They have to make choices of what do we emphasize, where where do we get our excitement from. So, you know, if Formula One chooses to not do that through forced pitting and strategies more so than they already are. I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. There's other, there's other racing series to watch for different things. Yeah. That's what makes variety great. What, just watch that's more what racing. racing. Guys.
0: And that's, yeah. That's what makes racing great is that you can watch a different series and get a different thing and period. End of story. Next.
1: Next, our final headline Ooh. Alpha Romeo to join Haas in 2024 F1 title sponsorship deal.
0: Oh yeah, what?
1: So it is been reported. It's I don't know if this has been confirmed by the, this hasn't been confirmed by the teams as of yet. But an inside source gave Racing News information mm-hmm. that Alpha Romeo will be parting ways with uh, with Sauber, who is the, yeah. the team that they currently yep. sponsor.
2: End of this and, year, yeah. End
1: of this year, and sponsoring Haas. So I don't know what their naming convention will be. It will be Alfa Romeo Haas or just Alfa Romeo. I doubt Gene Haas would give up, you know, the name on his car. I'm curious as to where what what happens to Sauber. Are they just going to be called Sauber again, um, or whatever their partner they get for one year? Because they're taking they're going to be two years two years of not having Alpha before Audi comes in. Yeah. Is Audi gonna give them a title sponsorship for two years? Will, will they be Audi Sauber for two years before they're just Audi? Um
2: That would be cool. The, I would be I would be it, on board with that. No, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Audi chose to do because they are already kind of doing that phases of taking over and and starting to become involved with the team. More like involved. They have yeah. stake. Yeah, they have um stakes in it right now. So they have money mm-hmm. in the team already. They have um, brought over Andrea Seidel? Mm-hmm. Which yep. Andrea? That one? Okay. Yeah. They've already brought him in to start his CEO responsibilities, so they're already starting the transition. It wouldn't surprise me if they were just like, you know what, let's start the naming now and not just have those two random years of just Sauber. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, but yeah, Haas switching from MoneyGram to Alfa Romeo. Haas would be... I'd like it better. It It sounds... MoneyGram Haas just sounds. I don't know. I don't love the the name MoneyGram. Like it's, it's very descriptive. It is what it is. But I do enjoy when teams have names that have like racing history behind them or intention mm-hmm. as opposed to just a brand.
1: <laughs> Does it take away from Haas's a, a status as an American team if they have an Italian car maker sponsor? Does that? That, that's I my so. the thing I bought Yeah, on.
0: I think so. Because you have plenty of American car companies that could be backing it. And my biggest take on this is that Haas cannot hold down a title sponsor. I feel like every season we are seeing a new title sponsor for them. So I'm just kind of like, it'll be out for May next year, but we'll see who it is in 2025. You know, we we don't really know. Um, like no shade towards us, but it's just the truth. But I will say the one sponsorship that I'm the most excited about for them was Chipotle. I can get behind that one.
1: All right. Well, those are the headlines. Thanks for, uh, giving me your hot takes on those, of course. uh, on that sizzling news there. As I said, the links to those articles will be in the description of this podcast down below.
0: Also, the relief is still ongoing in Imola. That has not ended just because we are no longer racing there this year. So if you want to go and give relief to the Relief Fund, we will also put that in the description of this podcast episode so that we can further help our Italian brothers and sisters.
2: And that's our episode for the post-Monaco week. And we've had a fantastic time. Thank you for listening. And we hope to have you all listening and joining us again next week. You can find us on all of our social media pages, as per usual. Gravel Trap F1, and I'm Christina. That's Caroline. And I'm Caroline. (laughs) Meow. Meow. See you next time on the Little Mermaid Recap. <laughs> Next time, do they make her tail the proper shade of green? I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs>